This is an ABC podcast. Now, just a quick warning, this episode does contain some strong language, so if that may cause you some concern or if you have little ears around, you might want to turn it down around a 30-minute mark. It'll be definitely seven years since I have slept a full night through. I don't think I can remember the last time. I remember feeling so tired, I just couldn't even function. I remember driving down this super, super busy street and just flat out going through a red light. You try anything and everything when you've got a young child and all you want them to do is just go to sleep. What I remember more than anything is standing and rocking and patting him, but most of all, singing. And in one celebrated case, we drove from one end of the freeway, literally to the other. And I sang and I sang and I sang and I sang on and on and on. And I remember thinking, just try me, kid. I know more songs than you can imagine. When um, people without children say to you, I'm tired. <laughs> the rain. Oh, the rain. <laughs> Sleep deprivation, it's such torture, isn't it? And you've probably told yourself, seriously, things will surely get better when my sweet baby grows up a bit. But the truth is, once I can walk and talk, that's when the real bedtime battles truly begin. Because that's when they can really fight back. There are a few things in life more frustrating than trying to get a toddler into bed. No, it's not nighttime. Daddy, I'm thirsty. And stay there. Dad, they don't want them in my garbage. And go to sleep. I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Oh, the parents <laughs> don't give up because where there's a will, there is a way. Hello. I'm Maggie Dent, and on this Parental as Anything, we're helping you fight the biggest battle of wills of all, the sleep wars. We will explore the science-based evidence on what to do and what not to do, so you and your little ones can finally get a decent night's sleep. Bedtime battles have been going on forever. Legendary Australian actor Noni Hazelhurst struggled big time with her son who just wouldn't sleep. And that was decades ago. But Noni still remembers the agony so clearly. And being on play school didn't help. In fact, it actually made things even harder for Noni. Many of us have had children who didn't sleep and many of us hid that reality from all those friends and peers who said, oh, my child sleeps 12 hours a night because on some level we felt we should be able to have a child that slept. So there's a certain sort of shame around the fact, I think, this certainly was with me. My first son was two before he slept through the night and you're just in survival mode. I learnt that I should have gone to a sleep clinic with him, but I stupidly thought that people would judge me, you know, that I was on play school, therefore I should be able to have a sleeping child. But I didn't, I didn't ask for help enough, and I should have. 
Someone who helps sleep-deprived parents like Noni is Dr Chris Seaton from Sydney's Wilcock Institute. Some might call him the sleep whisperer. He calls himself a paediatric and adolescent sleep specialist. Chris, tell me, what are you seeing from day to day in your clinic? We see kids with severe sleep disorders, you know, bad breathing, sleep apnea and so on whose mental growth and development and their physical growth is stunted. And when we fix them, these are often toddlers and preschoolers, when we treat them and fix their breathing, they have a growth spurt physically, they grow like a weed, they have a a surge in development, particularly related to their speech, and of course they sleep well. All right, so parents need to know how can we tell that our little ones are not getting enough sleep? The two key red flags are how do they get to sleep and how long do they take? So if you can get your toddler or preschooler on average, on an average night, asleep within 20, 25 minutes, we'd say that's good. That's normal. We get asked a lot about early morning waking in toddlers and preschoolers. So unlike teenagers, toddlers tend not to sleep in. And it's a curse for parents, but it's usually normal. And then the second bit is do they wake during the night? If you or I wake at night, you know, we can go back to sleep because we, you know, we know that we should. When little kids wake at night, they get really, really excited because there is the potential of going to see mum or dad or getting mum and dad to come to them. So that is excitatory. And then once they get out of bed, they are very wakeful. So what that means is they not only lose sleep from the amount of time they're awake, when they do go back to sleep, they might take another hour or so to get to rapid eye movement sleep. So that hour is wasted REM sleep. So the effect of that on toddlers and preschoolers can be profound and, of course, can drive parents crazy. Now, I'm curious, Chris, does genetics ever play a role in how our kids sleep? Genetics, Maggie, is hugely important. So a little kid with difficulty going to sleep, waking during the night, has got a high chance of insomnia if a mum or dad has a history of that. You know, so insomnia is, hey, I feel tired, I feel like I need to sleep, but I just cannot get to sleep. So that's called sleep onset insomnia, and it is highly genetic. Sleep maintenance insomnia is wake up during the night, can't get back to sleep, calls out to mum and dad, goes into mum and dad's room, so on. And of course, these little kids can't tell us that they have trouble. They then develop what's called sleep onset dependencies. They become dependent on things to get to sleep. And sleep onset dependencies in little kids can be good dependencies or bad ones. Good ones is like a teddy bear. Yeah, the dummy okay. or the pacifier early. Yeah, the pacifier. And the worst thing that happens, a teddy bear falls out yep. of bed, mum goes in, picks it up, gives it back, job done. Human teddy bears are not good sleep onset (laughs) dependencies because, well, you know, I know why you're laughing. Yeah. Because guess what? If you're a three-year-old and you learn or you need your mum or dad to be with you when you go to sleep at bedtime, guess what you're going to need when you wake up during the night? Same thing. Okay. Having trouble falling asleep can be hereditary. Great. Let's blame it on our parents. But this isn't news to Noni Hazelhurst. Her son was living proof. Well, my mother used to say, I hope you have children as horrible <laughs> as you were. <laughs> That's unkind. Yes, you bad fairy. Um, but look, my son Charlie, when he was about three, he would have two book stories, one made-up story, 
Then we'd have some prayers that we kind of offered up, even though we weren't going to church or anything, just, you know, bless this one and that one. And then I would spend maybe 20 minutes stroking his eyelids very gently. And then I would think, oh, he must be asleep by now. And I'd just gradually pull away and he'd go, anyway, blah, 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 blah. He wasn't even remotely tired. He was just, he was letting me go through my ritual and then he wanted another chat. So he was, and I was like that. I didn't sleep properly till I was about 10 or 11. So (laughs) they were as horrible as I was, yeah. Okay, so what should we do to help our little ones shut their winkies and go to sleep? Dr. Fallon Cook is a sleep researcher and a practitioner at Melbourne Infant Sleep. And like Chris, Fallon uses an evidence-based approach to create a strategy for each family rather than a one-size-fits-all of some sleep training programs because every child and family is unique. Fallon has some really great practical advice and says the first step is dealing with separation anxiety in a gentle way because really our kids just want to be really close to us because we're safe. So some will feel, um, you know, really frightened about parents leaving the room and that's a really common reason that toddlers will push back against bedtime is that they're just feeling really anxious that you're going to leave the room and that's when often um, just being very present for a couple of weeks while they're falling asleep. You might set up a chair in their room just to reassure them that you're staying there. Some parents will even set up a bed in the toddler's room and that can actually be really helpful if the toddler wakes up and sees that, yes, you're always there. So leaning in sometimes and giving them a bit of extra reassurance if you think it's separation anxiety can work really well. After a few weeks, they might, you know, feel a lot more confident and and less frightened about you leaving. And you can start to just gradually leave their room for longer and longer periods of time and see how they're going with that. Often they'll start to to come good and not feel so anxious when they're going to sleep and are better able to settle off to sleep without feeling so worried. Toddlers wake up at night. Now, it's pretty normal whether they've got, you know, constipation of poo that's due or they've got molar that's coming through or whatever. When should parents be worried about their kids' sleep and what what sorts of things should they be looking for? Yeah, look, I, you're, you're absolutely right. So some night waking is absolutely normal. Waking maybe once per night um, for a toddler can be completely fine and normal. Um, so what I'd be looking out for is if it's taking a really long time to help them fall asleep at the start of the night, um, they might be making a lot of requests or just refusing to let you leave their side or really struggling to get to sleep. Um, that's when it can become very tiring for families and quite stressful at bedtime. Um, so that that's definitely a bit of an, a problem and that's something that can be worked on. Also, if they're waking up really frequently overnight and taking a long time to fall back asleep or needing a really high level of support to fall back asleep. So if they're sort of wanting you to stay in their room all the time or you're having to even, you know, jump into their bed to help get them back to sleep. <laughs> in um, the cot. Can, yeah, oh, there's definitely, we've had parents who climb into the cot for sure. Yep. <laughs> I've seen it um, happen. Yeah, so I'd be thinking about, you know, the impact on the child and the family as well. So if parents are absolutely exhausted because they're having to really jump through hoops to help get their toddler to sleep and help them stay asleep, definitely seek help for that. As the queen of common sense, 
I believe that to fall asleep, we need to feel safe first and predictability can obviously help that. So, Fallon, what are your best suggestions to helping toddlers and preschoolers fall asleep? Definitely look at that bedtime routine and you want it to be as predictable as it can be. Do things in the same order every single time. Create that same environment before they fall asleep that they're going to experience when they wake up overnight as well so that it's easier to fall back asleep again. Um, And as parents, definitely thinking about your own behaviour. So this is a really important point where if when maybe your toddler is having trouble falling asleep and if you're coming and going from their room, kind of trying lots of different things or maybe they're wanting the cup of water and then they want three cuddles and then two kisses and if you keep kind of doing different things each time you go in, then, you know, toddlers are almost a bit like miniature scientists. They want to see how things work. So they're really motivated. They're thinking, well, I'm going to keep calling out because I really want to know what mum or dad is going to do next. So definitely just pick one thing that you're going to do. Maybe it's that you go into them, you have this this one same calm, calming, reassuring phrase that you say, maybe it's, you know, good night, mate, it's time for sleep. Um, And then just giving them, you know, maybe it's five little pats or a stroke of the forehead and then going again or, you know, whatever it is you're doing. You might be sitting in a chair in the room. That's fine too. But when you do go over to them, keep it really boring and predictable because then they think, well, there's not much point in keeping on calling out and making more demands because they're not really changing what they're doing. That's such a good point. And we know also about emotional contagion, don't we, that basically they can pick up. So I'm really good with my grandees at fake yawning and deep breathing. And I do it so well that they just kind of go with me. I just love it. It's like a little science experiment, how long I'm going to take to get them asleep. Okay. Do you think the problem is that us parents sometimes get in our way and we're really uncomfortable about letting our kids, you know, cry at will? Or are we rushing to help them too much or too quickly? Look, sometimes probably. And we definitely see that in the research as well, that um, parents who are really, really quick to rush into their children when they wake up um, tend to have children who wake up more overnight because, you know, like I said earlier, they they, they want to know what you're going to do. Maybe you'll do something different this time um, and it, it can sometimes become a bit of a game to them. So definitely thinking, you know, if your child is tucked up warm in their bed, you know that they're fine, you've done your bedtime routine, try and just give them that little bit of a space to fall asleep. They might sometimes become a little bit upset about it because all babies and toddlers will get cranky. <laughs> when things aren't going exactly their way, give them a minute because that's all about them building up confidence in their own abilities and becoming resilient little people who can go, well, mum might be gone for the next couple of minutes, but I'm actually okay here. And for some toddlers, they need that little bit of experience of having that little bit of time to themselves to really start to realise that that they can manage and they can calm themselves down and they can get to sleep. So yeah, little opportunities like that are a really good idea. Carly Grubb tried every method in the book to get her son to sleep, and I know lots of parents have done that, including a program at a live-in sleep school. While sleep training programs work well for some families, sadly, a rigid approach didn't work for Carly, and she ended up quite traumatised by the experience. So, to help others like her who felt like a sleep school failure, Carly created an online community called the Beyond Sleep Training Project. She eventually landed on a more gentle way to get everyone much more sleep. 
With my first baby, sleep was a massive issue right from birth and and like even if if I'm honest, there's still times now where he's a bit more of a challenge with sleep than my other two. And really it it drove me to the absolute brink when he was tiny. I doubted everything about myself in a quest to make him sleep the way they said that he should and nothing I did ever quite <laughs> fit the bill until I was able to actually find some peace in surrendering to doing exactly what he needed me to do and following his lead. And that's really continued throughout his toddlerdom and preschool life. What I wish I'd known about toddlers and sleep would have been that, you know, there's no magical age where we'd stop needing comfort and and contact even occasionally. I wish I'd known that. And so, you know, you're not running for some sprint line when your kid's not going to need you overnight because their needs change. So the needs of a new baby are very different to a toddler's, but there's still going to be times when your toddler's going to be unsettled. You know, they're going to be growing new teeth. There's going to be illnesses. There can be increasing separations from you by day when, you know, if you're back at work and they're at daycare or whatever's going on, all these things can play into your little person's sleep patterns. Carly eventually worked out that her son needed a lot of physical reassurance at night and the best way for her to do that was by co-sleeping. Chris Seaton says that co-sleeping is fine despite what Aunt Mabel might say. You know, I see a lot of parents who feel guilty about co-sleeping and, you know, it's friends and relatives and grandmothers and they yeah. say, oh, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't co-sleep, that's causing the problem. And I say, no, no, no. The problem is waking at night or dependency. That's the chicken and the egg is co-sleeping and there is nothing wrong with co-sleeping. And we use that as a strategy, particularly when a mother is, from a mental health point of view, is fragile because the alternative of changing that behaviour causes stress to parents and child and we've got to protect the mental health of parents. So a lot of what we do in that regard is dependent on the mum and the dad. So Fallon, tell me, what's your view on co-sleeping with our restless, sleepless toddlers? Yeah, look, for some families, having a toddler or preschooler co-sleeping just works really well and everyone sleeps well and, you know, there's no problem. There's just no problem with that and it's individual choice. Um, But a lot of families, they really don't want to co-sleep. So often parents don't sleep well. They're getting kicked in all sorts of places overnight. (laughs) Wake up with a toe up their nose, yep. (laughs) Exactly. So if it's not working for you, uh, you know, it might work well for your child, but if it's interrupting your sleep, um, then your sleep's worth protecting as well. So even at, you know, a lot of parents say to us, well, can I even change any of this when they're a toddler or a preschooler? Is it too late to get them sleeping in their own bed? And it's absolutely not. Um, You know, there's strategies you can put in place to to move towards having them in their own room. Co-sleeping eventually became a stretcher bed next to mum and dad for Carly's son. And that's what worked. That was one thing I think we had to figure out was that, you know, when things got uncomfortable, he was a real pain to have in bed with us. He was like a wriggler and, you know, he'd really want to sleep right up, wedged up against you. And that was becoming extremely frustrating. But if we could come up with creative solutions, especially when his baby brother came and then when his baby sister came, that still allowed him to have that closeness. That was really all we needed to do. And so by having that stretch bed there, he will just bring his pillow and his blanket in and tucks himself into bed next to me. 
it has no impact on the quality of sleep for anybody else in the house. And in case you were wondering, it also has zero impact on that other aspect of their lives, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So people have been sharing sleep in cultures around the world forever and, um, you know, populations are still swelling nicely. So I guess it's that whole, does sex need to take place in the parental bed? Uh, I don't think necessarily. I think you can be a bit creative about how you do that. And also my children all do have their own sleep spaces as they got older. And so, um, you know, they all start the night in their own bedroom, which allows plenty of space for my partner and I if we so desire. That's good news. And Chris, what about if you are one of those parents who can't handle a toe up the nose any longer and the co-sleeping is just not working? What's your advice then? So I saw a little girl last week who's two and a half and the brief was she's a first child, working parent, she'd been a good sleeper and over the last couple of months she had asked for a mum and dad to stay with her to go to sleep and they had done that. And she was taking longer and longer to get to sleep because she'd start chatting and playing and so on. And then she started waking at night. And the mum said, I've got the text here because I've changed her pyjamas. She's having a good-sized dinner, a bath, a story. I'm doing all the usual things. They're not working. I'm tearing my hair out. I'm feeling guilty and I'm tired at work. So that's a classic case. So when I spoke to her, I said, how desperate are you? How keen are you to change it? Because co-sleeping as a bridge in a two and a half year old is okay. And she said, Chris, I will do whatever it takes. I'm over this. So I know from that I can do sort of relatively hardcore, tough love. So I said to her, here are your choices. One of your choices is, and again, this is research-based, you make bedtime and lights out at the same time. You do all the pre-bedtime stuff away from the bedtime bedroom and you leave her and she will cry and you go out of the room and you can come back into the room whenever you want so this is not control crying it's not the clock controlling you it's you if you feel you have to go in go in get your husband involved get him to do it do it in a routine way leave the house some nights before her bedtime to show her that you're going away and david is going to do this she will cry a lot Over time, over a week or two, her crying will get less. And I said, but you've got to trust me and you've got to feel strong enough to do it because this is really hard therapy and it's going to hurt you because she's going to cry. If you go to her room, you're only allowed to do a couple of things. You're allowed to tell her to go to sleep. You're allowed to tuck her in and then you leave the room. So no picking up, no hugging, and we don't want to reinforce the crying because then she'll think, oh, I cry, I get milk. So she's, and I said, send me some texts of how, how you go. So the first night was 55 minutes of what the mum called hysterical crying. So that was last Thursday night. Then the next one, after three nights of tough love, we are down to taking 11 minutes of settling. So down from an hour to 11 minutes. So I said, well done, it's really hard to do as a mum. Next night, for the first time in six months, Josie slept through the entire night and woke at 6am. And then she says, having a full night's sleep is so life-changing. Yeah. And she didn't mean her child's life, she meant her life. Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that says is that 
habits, our brain loves predictability. Yes. And that you can't just do a different thing every night and want it to work. The brain has neuroplasticity and the stronger those neural pathways are that you've just created there, then the safer it becomes to follow that habit. And I sometimes use a very poor word in English, which is we need to unhabit unhelpful habits to build new habits that are good yes. for everyone. I like that, Maggie. <laughs> As an English teacher, it's totally inappropriate, unhabiting. But I think parents get a sense of it that sometimes they try too many things over and over and over. But you need yes. to kind of stick with something so the child has a sense of, their, okay, I know what happens here. Yeah, and the child then thinks, well, it's changed and it's different and I don't really yeah. like it, but, oh, that's becoming a habit now. Yeah. And this child, I, I said, look, you know, this is great. To do that sort of response over five or six nights is fantastic. She's just a quick responder. But, I, you know, I think we've got to be very careful in picking our marks. A lot of mothers I meet are so sleep-deprived and their mental health is fragile and me doing that sort of treatment with them and their child can just tip them over the edge. So I, I wouldn't advocate that. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all, as you know. No, and sometimes we need support from extended family yes. and grandparents and whatever to come in and be that support. And you're absolutely right. Chris, you've been a legend. Oh, thank, thank, thank you. you. I really thought I had it all sorted by the time my whoopsie third son arrived. But that high-energy, feisty little confident rooster had other ideas and he seriously was still doing somersaults at 9 o'clock at night after his older brothers were asleep. So I had to work out how best to help him that was different to his brothers <laughs> and his mum and dad. Now, routines build predictability and that can help the brain prepare for the end of the day and bed. Your job is to work out what are those routines of predictability that can work for your child or your teen. And I'm going to give you that shove right beside you. <laughs> you, the parent, must stand firm because your kids can't. Because remember, you have the fully developed brain, not them. And remember, there are ages and stages <laughs> and you'll get it sorted and then it won't be sorted. Things will continue to change as your child grows and evolves and finally leaves home. And if your toddler falls asleep better with you close by, keep faking yawning and sighing and singing lullabies and be what they need. Seriously, it won't last forever. And finally, if it's all just too hard and the stress is getting to you and the chocolate isn't helping anymore, <laughs> I find laughter really can be the best medicine. So... I've got something really special for you. It's a picture book written just for sleep-deprived parents. It certainly struck a chord with me when the publishers sent me the book. I just laughed like a drain. It was such a relief to know that I wasn't alone in having, you know, those horrible reactions to that awful sound in the middle of the night. You just hear this little cry and you think, oh, please, no, please. <laughs> So this story is all about those voices in your head. And if you have little ears around, please cover them because, well, we're very, very tired adults here and things are about to get a little bit sweary. Here's Noni with Go the F*** to Sleep by Adam Mansbach.
The cats nestle close to their kittens now. The lambs have laid down with the sheep. You're cosy and warm in your bed, my dear. Please go the fuck to sleep. The windows are dark in the town, child. The whales huddle down in the deep. I'll read you one very last book if you swear you'll go the fuck to sleep. The eagles who soar through the sky are at rest and the creatures who crawl, run and creep. I know you're not thirsty. That's bullshit. Stop lying. Lie the fuck down, my darling, and sleep. The owls fly forth from the treetops. Through the air they soar and they sweep. A hot crimson rage fills my heart, love. For real, shut the fuck up and sleep. The giant pangolins of Madagascar are snoozing as I lie here and openly weep. Sure, fine, whatever. I'll bring you some milk. Who the fuck cares? You're not going to sleep. This room is all I can remember. The furniture crappy and cheap. You win, you escape, you run down the hall as I nod the fuck off and sleep. Oh, that is just so real. That's Noni Hazelhurst, like you have never seen her on Play School. This is Parental as Anything, and I'm Maggie Dent, wishing you sweet dreams, parents. Sweet dreams. But wait, there's more. If you were in the trenches of parenting a teenager, you will know getting them to step away from the blue light and go to sleep can be just as hard as toddlers. So, in a special bonus parental as anything, paediatric and adolescent sleep whisperer Dr Chris Seaton is back. Chris says that chronic sleep deprivation is an invisible epidemic among Australian teens and it's having a massive knock-on effect on their learning and their mental health. Sleep is extraordinarily precious. It's a great mood enhancer. It's a great learning enhancer. It enhances resilience in teenagers at times of stress. So it does a lot of good stuff. But selling it to teenagers is a tough gig. How to get your screenager off tech and onto the sleep train and why this battle is one you simply must win. And this episode of Parental as Anything is exclusive to the ABC Listen app. So if you don't have it, make sure you download it now. Hey, I'm Sana Kadar, and I too am no stranger to sleep deprivation thanks to a little two-legged sleep disruptor of my own. And how good was Noni? I want her to read to me every night now. And if you want to learn more about the science behind sleep, check out my podcast, All in the Mind. We recently investigated what causes lucid dreams and how we can use them to our advantage. You'll find us on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.